reminder of that deposit. When you come to church, you take communion, you talk to God, and you sing these songs, you are reminded of that inheritance. Going on. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul wants them to understand, number one, to know God better, and then to be enlightened to the hope that they have, and third, to the riches of his glorious inheritance. He wants you to experience the depth and the riches of knowing God, realizing that the full inheritance is yet to come. Now, that's worth a lot more than $100 million. And we hear about it every Sunday. But are you drawing on it? Are you living the abundant life that Jesus promised, or are you in spiritual poverty? We've been in this series, uh, 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health, kind of a spiritual checkup, and here's the questions we've covered so far. Do you thirst for God? Are you increasingly governed by the Word of God? Are you more loving? Are you more increasingly aware of God's presence? Do you have a growing concern for the needs of others? Do you delight in the bride of Christ? And today, are the spiritual disciplines increasingly important to you? Now, spiritual disciplines will help you experience the riches of knowing God. The spiritual disciplines will help you draw on this incredible inheritance that is yours. They have been used by God's people from biblical days until now, and few things uh, will spur spiritual growth like these. What are they? Put a list up here on the board. Here's some of them. Prayer, Bible reading, Bible meditation, solitude and silence, worship. Some of these you're very familiar with. Some of them maybe you aren't so much, like simplicity or fasting, accountability. And there's more than these. In fact, I have a list of 55 different spiritual disciplines in my office. And there's all kinds of books written about them. So I, I put three of those books at the bottom of your outline there. Those are, I re think, really good. Foster's book is really a classic. A and if you want to borrow one, you may borrow one because I have all three of those, but I want the book back, please. But these are habits that will help you experience the riches of knowing God. Jesus did most of these, many of these. The early church did, the Old Testament saints did, and I would suggest we need them as well. I'm just going to give you seven general statements about them. Number one, the disciplines are often put into two broad categories, corporate and private. Corporate, of course, are the disciplines we do together, worship corporate prayer, Lord's Supper, singing together, seeing other believers express their faith, uh, learning together, studying together, serving, uh, arguing with one another. Not really, that's not a discipline, but it is one way God can work, by the way, in conflict. Uh, serving in the nursery can be a spiritual discipline. Setting up chairs here in the Family Life Center every Saturday can be a time of service to your God and to your church. What you do as a family is a corporate discipline, praying together, reading the Bible together, the private disciplines, then, of course, are the ones you do on your own, individual prayer and fasting and solitude and meditating on Scripture, keeping a journal. And you need both, the corporate and the private. Jesus did both. It says in Luke that news spread about him, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He did both. He ministered to people and got off by himself. And we need both as well. Some people are active in church, they're serving, they're worshiping faithfully, they're in Sunday school, they're busy, volunteering, they tend to be people persons, but never spend time alone with God, and they neglect the private side. Others think they can go, grow in Christ by themselves, without the church, without people, it's a private faith only, or maybe even a Facebook faith, because they'll post some things, which probably is an oxymoron, but it doesn't work. 
The two greatest commandments are what? Love God and love people. Yeah, your neighbors yourself. Okay, love God, love people. To love God, you have to love people. You, you can't do one without the other. And loving people is one of the ways we love God. And those two commandments then are really like two blades of a scissors. You remove one blade, you no longer have a scissors. So you need both the corporate and the private time with God. It's kind of like marriage. Good marriages have good friends, have a good network, but they also have good times alone, one-on-one. -on -one. Second, the disciplines can be drudgery. Ugh. Do I have to read the Bible again? Time. Do I have to pray? Do I have to go to church? I'm so tired. And You know, the preacher sermon last week, well, actually, the preacher sermon last week was pretty good because it wasn't me. I mean, and you do it as a duty, and, and yeah, that term discipline even implies it, it could it take some effort and it can be a drudgery, but it doesn't have to be. And even though it takes some focused effort, it is worth it. These disciplines will help fill your life with more depth, more meaning, and actually more joy. It may not feel like it at times, but it's more the after effect because they will impact you, and you'll be glad you did these. I want you to imagine a boy, six years old, let's call him Kevin. Kevin's parents have enrolled him in, a, in guitar lessons. After school every afternoon, Kevin sits in the living room and reluctantly strums, Mary had a little lamb, while watching his boys, his buddies, play baseball across the street. That's drudgery. That's discipline without much motivation or direction. Well, the preacher says, I need to read the Bible, and I need to pray, and so I will, and I won't like it, but, I, but I'll do it. That's discipline as a drudgery. Now, suppose Kevin is visited by an angel one afternoon during guitar practice, and in this vision, Kevin is taken to Carnegie Hall, and he's shown a guitar virtuoso giving a concert, and Kevin is astonished at what he sees and hears. The musician's fingers dance almost magically on the strings with fluidity and grace. Kevin thinks to back how clunky his hands feel when they stumble over the chords. The virtuoso blends clean, soaring notes into a musical aroma that flows from his guitar. And Kevin is just engrossed and enchanted. He never imagined anyone could play guitar like that. And then the angel asks, well, Kevin, what do you think? Wow. The vision vanishes, and the angel is again standing in front of Kevin in his living room, and he says, Kevin, that wonderful musician you saw is you in a few years, but you must practice. The angel disappears. Kevin finds himself alone with his guitar. Do you think his attitude toward practice might be a little different? See, as long as he remembers what he's going to become, Kevin's discipline will have a direction, it will have a goal that will into the future and keep him motivated. Yes, effort will be involved, and yes, he'll have to be disciplined, but it's not near the drudgery that it once was. He now sees what he'll become, and he likes it. So the first thing in the disciplines, we must understand what we are going to become. Romans 8 says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. You were made to look like Jesus. Conformed, transformed into a new creature, no more bad habits, no more bad attitudes, that's you someday. And if you do these disciplines consistently, a year from now, you will like what you're becoming. First John says, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. 
That's the vision. That's you in a few years. Now, if God has predestined you to be like Christ, you are not merely waiting for holiness, you're now pursuing it in this life. Getting a portion of the inheritance now. See, that $100 million is yours. And you'll have all of it someday. But you can draw on it now. You don't have to live in spiritual poverty and desolation now. This is our destiny. This is what you're made for. Paul also says, and we all are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Being transformed right now, we're becoming like Christ. But you have to practice. You will become the you you were intended to be, the you you want to be, the you God made you to be. Third, they are avenues through which we open ourselves to God's working in us, and we make ourselves available to God's power in us. We cannot change ourselves. I mean, just forget that. Okay, willpower is not going to get you very far. Only God's supernatural power can change us. We are so deeply marred and scarred. You know, you've heard that you cannot change your spouse. That's true. Bad news is you cannot change yourself either. Very important here to understand this. These disciplines are not primarily our work. They allow God to work in us. And if you're a Christian... There's a power in you that others do not have. If you're a Christian, there's a power in you that others do not have. Um, some of you enjoy, in fact, a lot of you, including me, uh, like to watch some superhero movies. And one of them is Batman. Batman is rich and a strong man with lots of cool gadgets. Batmobile, grappling gun, ultrasonic bat beacon, bat ice skates freeze grenades, underwater boot propellers. In fact, there's a website, Batman's 50 Coolest Gadgets. He has a batarang, but he has not only a batarang, he has an electronic batarang, a computerized batarang, a magnetic batarang, a remote-controlled batarang, and a heated batarang, as well as rocket boots, bat tracer, bat cowl, tear gas. I mean, it's enough to drive you batty. It's my joke for the day. Okay. <laughs> Batman's powers stem mostly from external position, possessions, what he owns. Another superhero, Spider-Man. Spider-Man does not have gadgets. He is not rich. But he's a superhero because the power was he obtained when he was bitten by a radioactive spider. His nature has been changed. He now has a power accessible to him that is actually within him, and that's you. Christ in you makes you more like Spider-Man than Batman. Something alien from you, from outside of you, has entered into you and changed your nature. You have a power that you did not have before. And that power is called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the personal God living in you, in a, working in you in a unique way through Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, most people aspire to be Batman. They want lots of gadgets and to be rich and even strong. But not you. You have something worth more than a hundred million and a lot better than any gadget. And these disciplines are what allow that power to be active in you. You're giving God permission to do His work in you. These disciplines are not gadgets. They are not techniques to control God or to get God to do what you want Him to do. They are ways to allow Him to live in you and His power to be in you. Fourth, various disciplines implies we need variety. If you do the same thing over and over and over, it's true in almost every part of life, you're going to get stale. Familiarity tends to breed boredom. 
Psychologists talk about habituation, which is the idea that when an object or stimulus is introduced, we are intensely aware of it at first, but the awareness fades over time. You know, if you're married, you know when the honeymoon phase is over, couples get habituated and, and some things can start getting stale. Researchers have discovered that long-term couples who injected some novelty into their routines, like going for a hike or taking dance class instead of going to the usual dinner and movie, those couples became much happier about their marriage, happier with their partner, because the brain craves novelty. So introduce a new element into your marriage. Ellen and I are going to try skydiving. She doesn't know that yet. <laughs> we'll probably discuss it. In our spiritual life, we get habituated. We fall into maintenance mode, routine, stagnant. Involvement in the church becomes mechanical and even a drudgery. One spiritual director said he counsels people who are going through a spiritual slump to shake up your prayer time. If you've been praying in the morning, pray at a different time. Go outside and pray with nature. Try journaling for a while. Get, uh, read a new spiritual author. Listen to Christian music if you haven't been. If you've been reading the Gospels, read the Psalms. Try solitude or silence. I mean, there's 55 different spiritual disciplines. Try some of them. Some of them will work and some of them won't work so well. Uh, just variety. The brain needs variety, but I would suggest so does your spirit. That's probably one reason God gave us this large variety of disciplines. Number five, spiritual growth is not always about feeling. You're going to go through times of spiritual flatness and lose the blaze. Well, I tried Bible study. I tried another journal. I, I read a new book and nothing seems to work. I just can't get that old enthusiasm back. And, and you'll go through times like that and that's natural. When you first come to Christ, usually there's kind of a high and there's an enthusiasm, but inevitably you're going to go through those dry times and hard times. And part of the reason you can't get back that flame or that spark is the same reason you can't get your teenage years back. You've already lived through them. You're past that. You can't recapture those years. And doing the same thing you did back then probably isn't going to work much anymore because it's already done its work. People who want a sec There's people who want a second and third and fourth conversion. They want to just keep going back and having that feeling. No, you're at a different stage. Deeper stage. Mature stage. It might not be as easy as it was back then, but it's better. Number six, the disciplines involve spending time with Jesus. Mary, in the account of Mary and Martha, is kind of the prototype of someone who sat at the feet of Jesus while Martha is distracted and busy. In Luke 10, it says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what, what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. The Lord said to her, sorry, Martha, you're worried and upset about all these other details, but there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. Now, that's really two approaches to the Christian life. Martha's actively serving Jesus. She's also missing him. She's busy, distracted, disconnected, touchy, irritable, anxious. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, being with him, enjoying intimacy with him, taking pleasure in his presence. Martha's not a bad person. She's being hospitable, doing good things. We need Martha's. I love Martha's. They get things done. But getting things done is not the goal of life. 
Getting things done is not the goal of life. You were created for God and to be in Him and with Him through Jesus. There are times busyness and doing things is an act of love. In fact, service is a spiritual discipline. But there are times when busyness is laziness. And doing, 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 doing is a lot easier than being. There's a husband who says to his wife, I bought you a stove. I fix the dishwasher. I take the garbage out. I bring home a paycheck. I mow the lawn. I'm a good father. I put the toilet seat down. I pick up my underwear. And he lists all these things that he does for her. And he says, doesn't that show that I love you? She said, I really do appreciate that. But you don't talk to me. You don't spend time with me. We don't communicate. Jesus, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I'm, I'm being a good person. I'm being a good neighbor. And I'm witnessing and I'm doing, doing, doing. But when do we spend time with him? Talk to him. I believe most of you can do these three things I'm going to suggest here. Actually, I'm going to give you four. Two times a day of quiet and Bible reading where you just stop. Twice a day. Take five minutes. Maybe it's on a break. I don't know. Once in the morning, once in the afternoon or evening. Just a reminder, my life is in Christ. Read a little scripture. Um, say a little prayer. You can do that just to build awareness of God in your daily life. And then at the end of the day, review it with God. It's often called the prayer of examine. Go through the day in your mind. Okay, where were the God moments today? Where could you see his hand at work? Did he speak through someone to you? What are the times you need to repent of or to ask for help? Do this right before you go to sleep and say, okay, God, how did we do today? Just examine it. Again, just awareness of him in your life. And then get a spiritual director, someone to talk to, to keep you focused, to keep you from slipping away. Because this world is full of distractions. There's so many things that pull you away from God. And a director can help you keep focused. You know, ask an elder or someone else that you might respect. Don't do it with your spouse. Okay? It needs to be someone other than your spouse. And we meet once a month and uh, just, or once a quarter, whatever, and just talk to them. And then I'm going to add a fourth one that's not on the screen. Take a Sabbath. And for the vast majority of you that are here today, Sunday is the natural time to take a Sabbath where you worship and then just take a break from your other routines. and Whatever refreshes you. I'll be honest, and I used to feel guilty about this. Mowing the lawn is one of the most refreshing things I do. And I used to think that was wrong to do on the Sabbath. I actually mow the lawn for my Sabbath. You just need something that refreshes you. When you've been sitting in front of a computer all day mowing the lawn, Anyway, I want to suggest, I think you can do those four. Seven, many disciplines can be woven into normal life. I know some people think, well, these are for the super spiritual monks and missionaries and elders and preachers. They do the disciplines while the rest of us watch baseball. But you can weave some things into your daily life. For instance, one of the disciplines is silence. And one lady said, while I do take silent retreats, I benefited just as much from the everyday practice of not having the last word. That's one version of the discipline of silence. She says, when someone zings me, I don't zing back. Just cover my mouth. When I want to say one last thing to my husband, can I be content without explaining myself? Can I trust God to be my defense? Can I give up control? Because sometimes talking is all about control. She says, I'm not there entirely, but I am much more content and trusting than I was this time last year. Take a social media break. Can you do that? 
Focus on something else for, for a season. Read some books. Time with God. Here's another one. Stop during the day and just ask, what would it look like to love the person in front of me for the next 10 minutes? How would you treat that person if it's a coworker or a fellow student or the other driver? Incorporate these just into your normal routine. And, and we could go on and on with this. But number eight, the goal of spiritual formation is not to do the disciplines, but transformation into Christ-likeness. The disciplines help us, but they help us slowly to approach life as Christ did, think as he did, and act as he did more and more over time. But there is no microwave spirituality. Everything is moving faster these days, and one area you cannot accelerate is the rate of growth in godliness. It takes time. And if you're seeking a deeper life with God, you're going to have to forget about instant spiritual gratification. And you're going to have to stay with it through the long haul. Stay with it in the dry times and the good times. Now, we have a picture of Ellen and me riding bike <clears throat> in about 40 years, I hope. When we go biking, one thing we always do, especially if we're going to go on a little longer trip, we always make sure the tires have enough air. Because when the tires are low, the trip is harder. Even if they're a little bit low, if it's a long enough trip, it's, it's, it starts taking its toll. So every time we get ready, we put air in. Now, why every time? I put air in the last time. Why do I need to do it again? I didn't take any air out. The air just went somewhere because air leaks. So you're on a journey, and your spiritual life is like these bike tires. You don't intentionally take the air out. It just leaves. And just as it's harder to pedal with flat tires or low tires, it is harder to journey through life when the air has leaked out of your tires. You don't know where it goes or how it goes. Life just has a way of deflating you. Difficult conversation. Tough day at work. Baby didn't sleep last night. My friend said some hurtful words. I let myself down. A child let me down. It happens to all of us. So where in life are you being reinflated? Where are you pausing long enough to fill your tires? Or are you just going through life with a flat tire? How fun is that? What if you made a decision, I'm going to pause and refill? Do you know where your refilling stations are? How does God fill your tires and re reinflate you? So, some of this is just becoming self-aware after trying some of these different disciplines. You'll find out what really does fill you. You have untold riches in the bank. You have an inheritance worth more than $100 million. And you can start drawing on it now. These disciplines are the withdrawal slips. Let's pray. Dear God, first... I would just ask that you open our eyes to the, the incredible gifts you have given to us, the Holy Spirit that lives in us, the riches of our inheritance. Open our eyes to what we are intended to be and what we someday will be. Thank you for these disciplines. That they're just avenues through which your Spirit works in us. They're avenues through which you change us and transform us to be more like Christ. So help us. I pray you help us every day to be in tune with you in our lives and every day aware of your presence and every day being made just a little bit more like Jesus with increasing glory. And we ask all this in his name. Amen.